following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. i got a word on my heart for you. If you have your Bibles, I've got two texts. One is found in the New Testament. The other is found in the Old Testament. One is found in Romans 8.14. The other is found in Nehemiah 1 verses 1 to 4. So we'll see how ambidextrous you are by finding both passages of Scripture. While, while you're looking for them, I'm just going to say this, that everything in life has a purpose. Everything. Every man-made object has a purpose. Have you ever found a screw or a piece of plastic in your car? How, how many men have found a screw or a piece of plastic? While well, you've been cleaning your car, there's, there's a screw or a piece of plastic in the car. How many, of you, how many of you thought, oh, wow, this just magically appeared? It just, in all the rubbish and all the stuff, it just created itself. Or, or how many of you think, oh, I wonder where that screw is coming from. I hope it's not, I hope something's not going to fall off while I'm driving, you know. Because, because, because deep down, you know that everything has a purpose. Every screw, every bit of plastic, it has a purpose. It was designed by someone to accomplish something. And so too in God's world. He did not design anything without purpose. Everything has purpose. Every rock, every grain of sand, every blade of grass, every tree, every cloud, every drop of water, everything has purpose. Can I also say that every human being was created with purpose. And there's not one person in this room that does not have divine purpose. See, I, I, I'm a big believer that you were designed and created by God. I'm a big believer in that. I, with all of my heart, I believe that one of the most fundamental concepts of humanity is the concept that you were created by God with a purpose with significance, with something to do with your life. And so what I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to teach you how you can find your divine purpose. How many of you want to know how to go about finding a divine purpose? And you say, but I already know. Well, great. Now I'm going to teach you how you can teach others to find their divine purpose. Especially if you're a disciple, you need to get the notebook out and find out how you can teach others how they can find divine purpose. Okay, first text is Romans 8.14. It says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, the children of God. Very important scripture to have as a foundation in our life. And what this scripture says is this, that if you are a child of God, you're going to be led by the Holy Spirit. And I need you to get hold of this truth. Because this truth personalizes God. This truth brings God right into your situation. Because sometimes we can feel that God is far, far away instead of close, close nearby. And what the scripture says is that God's passion and desire is to come alongside you and lead you through life and guide you through life. 
and just be with you in the journey of life so that the navigation of life does not become that difficult when you have an understanding that the Holy Spirit is by you to lead you. So if the Holy Spirit desires to lead our lives, and if you want to find your purpose, then you need to follow the divine leading. Can you see that there's a connection between divine purpose and divine leading? And so then then what happens is that our only objective in life is to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and to say, Holy Spirit, I'm willing to go where you're leading me. And if you're not leading me, I don't need to go there. And, 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 and I reckon that when you get this concept in your spirit, it's harder to miss the plans and purposes of God than to be in the plans and purposes of God. Because so many people kind of feel that it's like walking on a tightrope. Oh, every moment of every day, I'm going to be so sensitive because if, 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 if I miss the bus and it's the wrong bus and I get on, on another bus that's not the right bus, then I might miss the purposes of God in my life. Don't put yourself under so much pressure. You know why? Because I believe that the Holy Spirit, He is at work in your life and He will make sure. Matter of fact, I honestly believe that He'll give you chance after chance after chance to, to, to get into the flow. And you've really got to be rebellious to miss the flow. How many rebellious people have we got here? Huh? No, no. How many, how many of you just... You've come to church today because you're rebellious. And you're going to make a big show today by being rebellious. How many of you, in your heart of hearts, you don't want to be rebellious. You want to be submitted to God. Give me a wave if that's you. And I, I believe that's the majority of the people. You don't want to live in rebellion. You want to live in submission. And so you just got to relax because if that's you, you want to live in submission to God, then it's His responsibility to lead you. And his responsibility when he leads you will guide you into the God purpose. So that's a foundation scripture. Now let's, let's look at the life of Nehemiah and show and just do a case study of how Nehemiah found his God purpose. Last week, we looked at Joshua and how Joshua found his life purpose. And there's great teaching. If you weren't here last week, get onto our website and you can download the podcast or go downstairs and get the CD. And, uh, and learn how Joshua came into the new that God had for him. This week, we're going to do a case study of Nehemiah and find out how Nehemiah found his divine purpose. Here it is. Let's read the first four verses of Nehemiah. The word of Nehemiah, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Isn't that a great name? Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Chislev, which is late autumn in, in their time. In, it was late autumn in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who were left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. 
So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Let me just share with you using Nehemiah how God led him into divine purpose. First point that I want to make is this. Nehemiah was doing what he knew to do. So, so what had happened is this, is that at about 140 years prior to this event, King Nebuchadnezzar had invaded Israel and took a whole bunch of people into captivity into Babylon. And so what happened was that there were a few left in Israel and they had to intermarry with neighboring tribes to, to, to start the process going to keep themselves alive. But the bulk of the children of Israel went into exile. Then the king of Persia came and defeated the king of Babylon. And now we're in an era where the Persians are ruling the world. And here's Nehemiah, who had never, ever been to Israel. Matter of fact, he had lived in this part of the world with his family and his forebears for 140 years. Now, just to put that into context, my dad came to Australia in 1951. And so, and so I have not you know, had any contact with Italy or lived in Italy since my father came here in 1951. But at least I've been to visit. And let me tell you, it's a nice place to visit. If you want to visit any country in the world, Italy's the place to go. For those of you that want to get married, great place for honeymoon as well. But anyway, we won't go there. And so, 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 so he's Nehemiah now. He's learnt the language, the Persian language. He's lived in this nation for, for, for his whole life and, and his forefathers had lived there. And, and, and so he'd, he'd come up in the world and, and his job was one of the most critical jobs in the kingdom. He ended up being the cupbearer for the king of Persia. Now, the cupbearer was the wine taster. And so what he would do, because I mean, in those days, they wanted to kill their, uh, their, their monarchs and someone else would take their place. And so easy way to kill the monarch is poison his wine. And so uh, Nehemiah was the one that would taste the wine first and say, hmm, good vintage comes from this side of the hill and that is a little bit of berry and a little bit. And so he'd go through all that, that, that sort of wine tasting for the king and then give the rest of the wine to the king. And that was his job. So, so it wasn't a job of governance. It wasn't a job of being a, a leader in the land. It was a servant role. Basically, you lived in the shadows you gave the king his cup of wine and you tried to be as insignificant as possible. Okay? So that was his job. How many of you think it's a great job to have? Well, whatever the case, it was his job. What's the point that I'm making? This is the point that I'm making. God will never hold you accountable to do what you don't know to do. So if you don't know what your divine purpose is, then God's not going to hold you accountable to do it. But he will hold you accountable to do what you know to do. And so, so God's not going to use lazy people. 
So you've got to find what you can do and you do it. And that's the first step in finding your divine purpose. Just do what you know to do. Well, well I, I, I know how to paint houses. Well, you just paint houses. What Nehemiah, he, all he knew was how to give the king a cup. It's not a big deal, but he was doing what he knew to do. That's the first point. Second point is this. Nehemiah got ambushed by God. My goodness, did he get ambushed. So, so this is the way it works. You just do your journey. Bang, bang, bang. Cup bearer, bang. And then when it's God's timing, boom, you get ambushed. You get ambushed by God in God's timing. Now, he just asked a simple question. What was the simple question? Oh, by the way, how are the Jews doing in Jerusalem? And I don't think even Nehemiah knew what was going to happen to him when he got the answer to that question. He just got left-fielded. It's just all of a sudden, he just started to weep. He started to mourn. The Bible says for many days, he prays and fasts and starts to repent for the sins of his forefathers. I'm talking about going back 140 years. Where did that come from? You know, my uncle went to my, my father's hometown. It's called Carello in Calabria. And so I asked, well, tell me about Carello. You know what he said to me? He said, oh, it's just desolate now. Nobody lives there anymore. It's just, it's just you know, a desert. Do you know what? I didn't feel one emotion about it, not an iota. I certainly didn't sit down and weep. I certainly did not fast. I did not come off my spaghetti for a millisecond. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. You say, where's your emotion? I don't think Nehemiah was ready for this. I don't think Nehemiah was ready for the emotion that was coming upon him when he heard this news. You say, what am I saying to you? This is what I'm saying to you. That when you get ambushed by God, get ready because something's about to happen. Because sometimes you don't know that God's setting you up for an ambush. But he's setting you up for an ambush to stir you to a place where divine purpose can be fulfilled. Do you know, I mean, you turn on the news all the time and there's always something happening. There's always some tragedy. But Anne got ambushed by God during the Port Arthur massacre. So, so here we are watching the news and, and, and we hear about this crazed gunman shooting all these people. And, 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 you know, and so for me, oh man, I was moved by it. But Anne got ambushed by God. I was moved, but Anne got ambushed. So what happens when you get moved? Well, it's a very sad thing and you, know, you pray about it, whatever, but you move on. But Anne couldn't move on. She got ambushed by God. And so, and so she, she could not let this thing go. It was like, who, who helps the survivors? And how do you get to help these survivors? And, and, and so she was so moved by God that she started a journey that eventually led to the birthing of Chaplaincy Australia. And so today we have 900 chaplains 
that are on the go and ready to go to any disaster front, not only in Australia, but anywhere in the world, because Anne got ambushed by God during the Port Arthur MacArthur. Port Arthur MacArthur. Port Arthur Massacre. So, so, so just can I say that that's not a you thing, it's a God thing. So when God gets hold of you, then he's starting to direct you in a particular way to take you to divine purpose. And so until that happens, don't worry about it. Just keep doing the last thing that you were told to do. Let me just say the third thing. Nehemiah gets a divine appointment connected to his divine emotion. Okay, let's read from chapter 2. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan. So remember, he got the news in the month of Chislev, and now we're in the month of Nisan. So to put it into English context, he got the news in late autumn. So they've gone through late autumn, winter, and now it's early spring. So we're talking, you know, five, six months later. We're talking, you know, four, five months later. So it says, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, now I, I need you to understand this, that he'd been sitting on his divine emotion for maybe four or five months. Just sitting on it. No, well, what am I going to do with this? It's just sitting there. And, and, and so what happens is this. The king says, now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you're not sick? Now, the event where he wept and fasted, that was four or five months ago. So what happened here? God just brought this thing up. So can you see that the hand of God is upon all of this right from beginning to end? So therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you were not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. And said to the king, may the king live forever. That's always a good thing when you stand before a king and you're afraid. May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burnt with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? Wow. So what happens now is that Nehemiah gets a divine appointment. The divine emotion is a divine stirring preparing us for a divine appointment. Can I say that again? The divine emotion is a divine stirring preparing you for the divine appointment. You know, you just got to be aware that God stirs you up when he's preparing you. You know, we love our little nests. How many of you, how many of you love your nest? You know, you get a house and, and, and you just want to make it nice, especially the women. The guys just want to make it livable. That's all. So this is, this, you, you, you go to a guy's house and he's got, he's got a chair, he's got a furniture, he's got the TV. It's a big TV. It takes up the whole room. He just knows where the important things are, okay? He's got a fridge. Got to have a fridge. You do homage to the fridge. Every time you walk into the house, open the fridge door, you bow. 
Have you noticed that with guys? You watch. You watch man come into the house after work. Hello, sweetheart, bro. Goes straight to the fridge, opens the fridge and bows. Okay, just shuts the door. Not necessarily get anything, but it's just a wonderful thing to do. You bow. So as long as there's a fridge, there's a television, there's a lounge. Guys are happy. Not, not girls. Girls are just very different. They've got to have everything in its right place. And they've got to have, you know, the lampshades just perfect. They've got to have the trinkets. They've got to have the flipping candles. How, how many blokes are fans of candles? One, two. How many girls are fans of candles? There you go. My goodness. I trained all my boys to blow out candles. So, <laughs> so as quick as Anne had lighted them, the boys would blow them out. And she'd get upset with them, but she didn't realize that Dad was setting them up. You know? <laughs> okay, the truth's coming out. Hey, come on, let's pay attention. This is a serious message here, and you're leading me astray. So the fact is that we all, we all love to make our nests and we like to make it as comfortable as possible for us. But every now and then, God comes along and he starts shaking the nest. And we start rebuking. We rebuke whatever that shaking is because it's making me uncomfortable. And all God's doing is preparing you for the next thing. And you know what? An eagle never becomes an eagle if it stays in the nest. It always remains an eaglet. And the Bible talks about as the eagle stirs the nest, so God's going to stir your nest. It's going to give you a bit of a shake. So what? So that you can start spreading your wings and come into divine purpose. And so, so this is where you start to wake. Then you don't necessarily leave immediately. You just start preparing yourself. When you feel the divine stirring. It doesn't mean that tomorrow, that's it, God's going to kick you out. It's just that get yourself ready for a divine appointment. There's a divine appointment. It's, it's, it's the preparation for the divine appointment. And so Nehemiah just, I don't think he was fully aware, but we can learn that this divine appointment where the king says, okay, Nehemiah, what do you want? What do you want? What's your request? And then we move to point four, where Nehemiah now stands at the crossroads of divine purpose at the crossroads. What do you want? You're at the crossroads. Put up point four, please, man. So you're at, you're at uh, the, the crossroads of your divine purpose. What do you want? Now, put yourself in the position of Nehemiah, okay? You're comfortable in Sushan. You're comfortable in the capital. You've got a good job. You're, you're very well esteemed by all your friends. They think you're awesome. And the king says, what do you want? I guarantee that my first response is, can you send somebody to fix up Jerusalem? Find somebody. Or maybe, maybe, can you send money to fix it up? Anything but taking it on yourself, taking on responsibility yourself. Let me tell you that every option that doesn't require personal commitment is not a God option. Because when you get to the divine appointment and you stand at the crossroads, this is where you need to start to count the cost of what it's going to cost you. And very often we think, well, who, 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 who can we send? <laughs> who, who can we appoint? Who, who, who can go for us? 
And God says, what are you willing to do? And so he's the cupbearer's response. He re- I love this response. He says, so I prayed. Somehow he knew that he was at the crossroads of the rest of his life. And so he starts to pray. God, I want to make this decision. I want to make the right decision. I'm at the crossroads and there are so many different options. But please guide me. Please lead me so that I make the right option. It's a great thing to pray when you stand at the crossroads. And you know what he said? This is what the cupbearer, this is what the waiter, this is what the wine taster, who'd spent his whole life training to be a wine taster, a cupbearer, a servant. This is what he says to the king when the king says, what do you request? He says, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Where did that come from? Where, where does a cupbearer come up with that sort of idea? What, you're an architect now? What, you're an engineer now? What, you're a builder now? What, you're a surveyor now? You're a flipping waiter. Where does, a, where does a waiter get this even concept that he can rebuild Jerusalem? Unless it's a God thing. Unless it's a God moment unless it's a God idea, unless it's a God seed, unless God plants it in. And he moved from seeing himself as being the king's cupbearer to being the architect to rebuild Jerusalem. Can you see here that, can you see the process? I don't don't know if you can catch this process of how all this works because it started with this divine emotion that came from a divine ambush. Then the divine emotion, the stirring. Well, I'm feeling something. I just don't know where it's going. I don't know where it's leading. But, but I know that God's up to something. I know that God's doing something. Okay, get ready. Why? Because now you've got a divine appointment on its way. This is a God appointment. This is not a man appointment. This is God's going to open a door. God's going to do something. What happens? Wow, he gets to see the king. And the king says to him, what do you request? And then you've got the divine leading. Because you can back away. I've got something in my spirit, but it's so audacious. It's so big. It's so beyond me. It's way beyond my natural ability. I I, I wouldn't in my wildest dreams think that I can do it, but I'm going to say it anyway. And then you have the doors open and Nehemiah comes into his divine appointment. His divine purpose. And I love this because Nehemiah then accomplishes outstanding feats. And most of the book then is about what he does next. And so, and so it's, it's, it's only those that really study the scriptures that get to see a picture of pre-Nehemiah before the rebuilding of the wall as opposed to this amazing leader, this amazing leader that accomplished something that nobody was able to do for 140 years. For 140 years, the walls of Jerusalem lay smashed and shattered. And then this cupbearer, this waiter, this wine taster comes onto the scene with a divine anointing and in 52 days rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem. And then not only does he do that, he reestablishes order. In Jerusalem. 
He, he, he gets Ezra, who was trying for decades to try to bring order. He was the high priest. He couldn't bring order. And all of a sudden, Nehemiah, the cupbearer, the waiter on tables, the wine taster gets up there and he says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to call the whole people together. And Ezra, you're going to get the books of the Bible and you're going to read the word of God to these people. And they stood there and a divine emotion came upon them. When, the, when, when Ezra started to read the Bible, the Bible tells us that the people started to weep and wail. It was just like this, this incredible presence descended upon us saying, this is the word of God. This is what God is saying to us. And can I just say that that was the last time that the children of Israel ever were idolaters. From that moment on, that whole nation changed from being a rebellious, idolatrous nation to being one of the most God-fearing and God-honoring nations on the face of the earth for centuries later. Even to this day, they are one God people, never idolaters ever again. Let me just finish with some practical teaching for you. Are you ready for this? This is some practical teaching. It's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to lead you and open doors for you. It's not your responsibility to open doors. It's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to open doors. So yes, of course you want to find your divine purpose. And I, and I pray to God that there's not one person here that doesn't want to find what they were born to do, what they were designed to do, what they were impacted to do. And we'll help you in every aspect that we can. But we can't open doors for you. The Holy Spirit opens doors. Bible talks about that in, in Revelation, that he is the one that opens doors that no man can shut. He's also the one that shuts doors that no man can open. And you know, for me, I never, ever cry over a shut door. Because to me, the shut door is always a God thing. Not every open door is a God thing. But every shut door is. Let me say that again. Not every open door is a God thing. Why is that? Because I can have five doors open to me. There's five opportunities open for me, but only one of them is a God opportunity. And sometimes what happens is that a door opens and then the enemy to confuse us opens another three or four or five doors just to confuse us. And so, but he's able to open doors. But you know what the enemy can't do? He can't shut God's door on you. If God opens a door, the enemy can't shut it. No man can shut it. Only God can shut the door. And so if an opportunity is shut on you, don't cry over it. Don't, don't, don't mourn over it. Just say, God, this is wonderful. You're leading me. And this shut opportunity means that you're going to open up something else for me. And more often than not, you get the timing right when the door shuts because a new one's about to open. A new one is about to to open. So this is where you've got to be a believer that the paths of a good person is ordered by the Lord. You've got to believe that these are the sons of God, those that are led by the Spirit of God. You've got to believe that when you commit your ways to the Lord, that He will direct your paths. And that's what you've got to do for this year is live in this sense of God's at work in my life. He's leading me. And, and, and my responsibility is not to lead myself. My responsibility is to be sensitive to his leadings and obey what he says for me to do. Second practical teaching is keep doing what you know to do until God opens up something new for you. 
Just don't get so caught up in what God's got for you in your future that you stop doing what God's got for you in your present. That's silly business. That really is silly where people want, that they want to get so caught up, so caught up. I remember just in my very formative years, I was 18 years of age, and I had this guy come up to me. He said, oh, I know what God wants me to do. He says, what's that? Uh, you know, God wants me to hire out these big stadiums. The guy was only 17, 16 years of age. And, and, and preach the gospel, and thousands of people are going to get saved. I said, oh, that's wonderful. So how many people are you leading to Christ right now one-on-one? That was my naive approach as an 18-year-old. And he says, oh, I'm not doing that because I'm waiting for God to open the doors up the stadiums for me. And even in, even in my naivety as a young man, I realized this guy's missing the mark. Because if you can't lead one person to Christ, you're not going to get the opportunity to lead a thousand. Matter of fact, if you can't lead one, why should God give you the opportunity to talk to 10? So you start at one and then you build to two and then you build to five and then 10 and then 20 and then 30 and then 100 and then 200. And so don't wait for the big opportunity when the only opportunity is in front of you. So you take hold of your only opportunity and that will lead you to your big opportunity. It's just, I, I see that as very, very simple. Third thing I want to say is this. Whatever you're now doing in obedience will eventually lead to your divine purpose. I, I just want you to get the pressure off. Just listen to me because I'm about to finish and, and you can come up, Amelia, is this is that we can get so caught up with the divine. What's the divine purpose? What's the divine purpose? What's the divine purpose? And you know what? Sometimes God just doesn't tell you. He said, but I want to know because I'm doing a five-year plan and a 10-year plan and a 20-year plan. Well, sometimes God doesn't tell you. Sometimes God only tells you what the daily plan is. But this is what I've known, is this. That if I'm faithful in doing what I know to do, then when God wants me to do something else, I'll be the first to know. And I don't think for one minute Nehemiah thought that he was going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem while he was a cupbearer. You know what? I don't even think, I don't even think that he had it in his heart the day before the king asked him. I honestly believe that when he prayed, when the king says, what's your request? And that's when he prayed. I really believe that's when the Holy Spirit says, this is the dream that I've got for you. And he began to speak as the Holy Spirit revealed the dream to him. And before you knew it, he was being led by God into his future. You know, I I just think that one of the, the problems that the church, the Pentecostal church faces that we've heard so much teaching on, You've got to find the purpose of God for your life. You've got to find the purpose of God for your life. That, that people are just spooked about, I don't want to miss it. I, don't, I want to find the purpose of God. And, and my attitude is just, just do what's there to do. Just be faithful in what you're asked to do right now. And God will take care of the purpose in the future. It's like, but, but, but I just want to do something big for God. You know what? He's preparing you for that big. He's preparing you right now. But, but well, what I'm doing seems so insignificant. Yes, but it's preparation. And if you can't be faithful in the small things, how can you be faithful in the big things? 
God's preparing you. You know, Joseph got Joseph was, you know, he got a revelation when he was 17 about the purpose of God for his life. But you know what? He went through 14 years of a pretty hard time before he got to it. And sometimes I wonder whether it had been easier for him not to know and just be faithful. Because, because for 14 years it was like, but God, I, I, I thought that I saw this, but obviously this never going to happen now that I'm in prison and I'm a whatever. But God's in charge and God turned the whole thing around. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. And then when it was time for him to come into his divine purpose, it sprung upon him. Jesus was 30 years of age. And when it was his time, he got led by the Holy Spirit. So I'm saying you be patient where you are, doing what you're doing, being faithful, keeping your heart open to being led by the Spirit of God. And when the divine purpose is time to come upon your life, it will come. Amen. Does that help anybody? Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 